This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. It's Cyber Monday, OG. I'm sure you're going to be out shopping all day long. You know a cyber thing going on while a lot of people are shopping? Cyber warfare. Cyber theft. Oh, yeah. Cyber yes, warfare. absolutely. And uh, our men and women of our armed forces helping us on that front, too. It's not all just bullets and fighters and bombers and tanks. No. Now it's code and uh, viruses and all that stuff. It's like my uh, favorite Southwest commercial where they're all sitting around the command center and there's a nuclear bomb going off or some sort of cyber attack. General, there's been a breach. We need your password so we can lock down the system. My password? Yes, sir, we need your password. The password that I use? Yes, sir, your password. There's been another breach. Sir. Right, okay. I-H-A-T-E-M-Y-J-O-B-1. I hate my job, one. Want to get away? Now you can with Southwest Fares as low as... On behalf of the... Men and women uh, from Navy Federal Credit Union and the men and women down here making a basement work on Cyber Monday. A big shout out to the men and women who love their job. They do. Keeping us safe. Men and women of our armed forces. Let's all together go stack some benjamins. Okay. Right here. It says right here in this this account we have $401,000. Jackpot. Nope. Uh, that says you have a 401k account. If you liquidate that right now, you'll have, you know, maybe $5,000. So what happened to the other $396,000? What is wrong with the two of you? Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's The Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and who's your 401k daddy? Today, we welcome the father of the 401k and the author of 401ks and IRAs for Dummy, a man who's helped millions save for retirement, Ted Benna. But that's not all. We'll share a fantastic money headline ripped from the financial press, shine the spotlight on a TikTok creator, and also throw out the Haven Lifeline to a stacker with a question about commercial mortgages. And now, two guys we think of as the podcasting for dummies poster boys. It's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. Who's your 401k daddy? Today I get to figure out who my daddy is. 
Well, we got him here, the father of the 401k, Ted Benna. How about that? Welcome to another episode of the Stacky Benjamin Show, Cyber Monday edition. I'm Joe Salcihai, Average Joe Money on Twitter, and across the card table from me, Mr. OG. Looks like we're both sporting the uh, Thanksgiving beards. The fuzz? Yours is a lot grayer than mine. Why, thank you. It's because it's my maturity. People have listened to this for a while, realize one of us way more mature, probably a lot wiser. and uh, One of us way better looking. And, yeah. and, and yeah, I, it's, they call it the trifecta. It's all right here on, on my side of the table. But man, we, 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 got, we, got a, we got a great show today. Not only Ted Benna, TikTok Minute, fantastic headline, but first, this episode sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Well, you know what I think about Navy Federal? I think about the veterans that have done so much for our country. And I also think about some of our active service members. want to say a special shout out to Uh, My nephews, Colin and Nathan, who are both in the Navy. Colin is stationed outside Seattle, Washington on a submarine. And my nephew, Nathan, is in South Africa as an air traffic controller. And in Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants you also to celebrate members, many of whom go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. It's all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their family are eligible for Navy Federal membership. They offer 24-7 help from their U.S.-based member service. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender. All right, let's get this party started. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Well, where everybody's talking about buying, one thing that we're seeing people buy more and more of are NFTs. You're seeing the NFT market now go crazy. And while there's a ton of speculation, OG, in NFTs, this is a corner of the market where I think there's actually going to be some real utility in areas where there, where there can be ownership disputes, like I'll give you an example in the music industry, had NFTs been around before streaming was there, you could buy an NFT that shows that you own the song, right? And then if, let's say, you know. What would Taylor Swift do now? So would she be able to re-record her stuff like she is now? Yeah, and put it all on, on NFTs or have NFTs to prove mm-hmm. ownership. And then once you own it, if the person gets hot and there's only so many copies of that piece of music, you now can sell that, um, you know, like rare record albums or whatever it might be. I mean, for the yeah. for the art world, for the creative world, for things that have copyrights, NFTs, I think, are make a ton of sense. Yeah. I've heard a little bit about this, but I've heard that in the intellectual property space, like you said, copyrights or designs or 
you know, I was thinking about like house designs, like they, those things get ripped off all the time. You know, yeah. you could just have a design of a house that because it's digital now, every time somebody uses it, you get a little royalty automatically. Yeah. Attach the NFT to it. And, uh, and that's good because and you can prove ownership. You can prove yeah. like train of thought and like how you created it over a long period of time. And anyways, so there's, there's a lot of interesting, uh, byproducts of this for sure. But just like we reported over the last many years in the world of crypto, there also are going to be many disputes along the way when it comes to the world of NFTs. And uh, today's headline comes to us from uh, Morning Brew. I know you get Morning Brew as well, right? It's a newsletter that you can get nearly as good as our newsletter. You should subscribe based on my link so I get a free sweatshirt. So you get a free something. But And you know, we, we just uh, we just started our reward program for mm. for our, the 201. I see what you did there. Kinda. Yeah, stackingbenjamins.com slash 201 and win some rewards and uh, get your money fixed. But uh, Miramax, the studio behind Pulp Fiction, sued director Quentin Tarantino uh, a couple weeks ago for planning to sell NFTs related to the iconic film. Tarantino replied to paraphrase, I don't remember asking you a GD thing, which of course is, is, uh, yes. Yeah. The scuffle brings questions about ownership and intellectual property. Morning Brew writes to the forefront of NFT water cooler chats. So here's what happened. OG at the NFT.NYC conference earlier this month, Tarantino announced his plan to sell NFTs of his first handwritten drafts of Pulp Fiction screenplay. So you can now have an NFT version of Which, by the way, something that get. other people don't have. Well, it, it proves he's going to sell that version, but because it comes with an NFT, it proves that you own that. So if you've got the NFT of it, you you own it. But We've he been, still has it. He has, still has the original He's selling a copy of the handwritten draft, right? Yes. N- not the handwritten draft. But not the handwritten draft, which means he could probably come out with more later. Well, it's just, I mean, remember remember a couple of weeks ago, I thought we talked about this on the show, or maybe I just sent it around to everybody. That author that I get all of his books from, his name is David Thorne. He has a website called 27B-6. That's his website. So David, if you want to sponsor the show, you can. But he writes some pretty funny stuff and there's some stuff that's a little too far for me but but most of his stuff's pretty funny and they're mostly they're mostly letters to companies it's heavy 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 satire which you know but he truly sends them out oh yeah yeah like he created a book with the penguin logo on it like like from penguin random house yeah and kept on getting like these cease and desist letters so he kept on like amending the penguin a little bit like what happens if the penguin is smoking a cigar and they're like, no, you can't use our penguin. It's like, what if the penguin's wearing tap shoes? Like he just kept on like, he just like keeps on screwing with people. Anyway, but he created, he was, he's a designer, graphic designer. And he was talking about how negative space isn't used enough in artwork, you know? And, and if you're a real designer, you use negative space. So he was selling 100 NFTs of negative space. Of just negative space. And people bought them. Yes, of course they did. Well, in this case, uh, of course, within days, Miramax sent Tarantino a cease and desist letter. The director ignored it, prompting the studio to sue him over copyright infringement. So here's the deal is that from Miramax's point of view, Tarantino doesn't own the rights to his script. And mm-hmm. because of that, he can't sell them. Tarantino wrote the script and he's he's selling his own handwritten stuff. So, Well, an NFT solved this problem in the future. 
Absolutely. But I think you're going to see this too, is when the NFTs, when NFTs initially get created, you may see some ownership disputes about, can you even lawfully make that thing? I just don't understand how you can create an NFT out of something that already is a physical product because the physical product still exists. Like, didn't somebody say, didn't we have this on the show one time where somebody's like, you know, an NFT is like taking a picture of the Mona Lisa on your phone and telling everybody that that's your picture versus owning the Mona Lisa. You know, it's like, but you could also do an NFT that proves ownership of the Mona Lisa. Probably, but still, unless you actually owned the, you could do that. Gives a crap. Like, unless the Louvre is going to start paying you every time somebody walks by it because of the fact that you have this. No, what I'm saying is the Louvre can, the Louvre can create NFTs so that if somebody then, I mean, think of what that does to art thievery, that then when you transfer that art from one person to another, the NFT comes with it. Sure. And, and that's, you know, what they call that in the art world, provenance. Yes, of course. That's all well and good, but they decide to sell it. Now what? <laughs> well, then the new person has it. But what if they keep the, you know, I, I think the problem is right now is that people are selling the NFT without actually selling the actual product of it as sure, well. Because it's a copy. Like in, it's well, a yeah, copy. Like in it's this like, example, like it would make more sense to me if Quentin Tarantino was like, all right, if you want act one, it's 10,000 bucks and you get the NFT with act one and you get the actual physical product. Right, you get the actual physical product. Because yeah, otherwise, what's to prevent him from being like, I made version two of this and now I'm going to sell this and now I'm going to sell this. And yeah, I'll make more. I mean, which is fine. It's his right. But I don't know. Well, and as long as there's people that want to buy those knockoffs, I think of it as like an artist who makes, uh, you know, uh, 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 makes a painting and then does a hundred lithographs of that, you know, and they're limited. There's a, only a set number of them. And you know, you have a copy, but you have only one of X number of copies. And because it's a limited supply, it actually gives it value. And yet you still don't have the actual one. And yet you still don't have it. Yeah. But that's, but, but I think that's probably the analogy. Maybe, but then there's nothing to stop that artist from changing his mind later. Being legal, like, actually, I wanted to make 200 of these. Legal experts say whoever owns the copyright of an asset has the right to sell an NFT of it, but creative products that involve numerous assets don't always have a clear contract of who owns it. And yeah. uh, they write, Morning Brew writes, expect this to be the first of many high-profile squabbles over NFT rights in the future. Yeah, Miramax's point is, yeah, that's your script, but it was our movie that we did together. And the reason that the script is famous is because of the actors. You know, you could see yeah. John Travolta being like, well, I mean, if I wasn't in this movie, it wouldn't have been as good. So I get a cut of this. Right. You know, I think that's the argument. Do you think we should make an NFT of Stacking Benjamins? I, I, I totally think we should. I'm, and, and I'm not even joking. We, we definitely need to do some NFTs. I think that would be, that'd be super fun. We could sell some, uh, and we could actually do separate episodes. We could do an episode that has one copy and you own it. What a parking. <laughs> it's like 10, 10 bucks. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's not yeah. the number I had in my mind. <laughs> well, not the number I, I really wanted either, but I think OG that if there's any lesson, it's that if you're jumping in the world of an NFTs, I feel like this is like seven or eight years ago in the world of crypto. I feel like we're we're going to go through the same things that we had with crypto. We're going to see people getting ripped off. We're going to see people selling just junk that's absolutely worthless. And you're hey, going to see my Shiba coin is not junk. Idiots jumping on, it, jumping on it. Uh, 
Time for our TikTok Minute. This is the part of the show where we take a TikTok creator and we put them in the spotlight to shine a light on either their brilliance or their not-so-brilliance, we'll call it. So is not today's... Not-so-brilliant. You think today's not-so-brilliant? Not-so-brilliant. All, right. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's dig in. Here is today's TikTok. And I'll apologize because I have this on Twitter. I actually got it not directly from TikTok. And... TikTok investors who was sharing this on Twitter, great channel to follow, by the way. Um, just the fact that it's TikTok after TikTok, I can't read the person's name, but well, uh, just listen because I'm not sure the person's going to want us to know their name. 10 seconds, I'll prove to you that the gender pay gap does not exist. The reason why men make more is because they choose higher paying jobs like lawyer, doctor, engineer. But women choose lower-paying jobs like female lawyer, female doctor, female engineer. Oh, that was a bit outside. At first, I thought this dude's a complete idiot. Mm-hmm. I thought, why would you make something? I still think that. At that, second, what, what, what do you think? Why? Why did you make something that's that stupid? But then I thought, there's nobody that's that stupid, and maybe he's showing how well, stupid the pay gap is. Like how there seriously is. People doing the same exact things, the same exact jobs, right? They choose female engineer, not engineer. They choose female lawyer, not lawyer. And so they get paid less. Oh, so you're saying that he's uh, providing satire to... Heavy duty satire. To... uh, Yes. Interesting theory. At least God, I hope so. (laughs) Do I absolutely hope so? Yeah. (laughs) Because otherwise... He's drawing attention to it in a... a, satirical way okay that way that might be that might be buying him out of some prison terms but oh geez uh, let's put it this way regardless of how he meant it mm-hmm. that's why i presented it <laughs> was gotcha. not yeah, well, beca- yeah, obviously. was not because of the fact was not because of the fact that he's just a moron but because i think i think there is some heavy duty uh satire there and uh a bunch of unfortunate idiocy in fact you know uh you weren't with us in cincinnati but when our friends Piggy and Kitty from Bitches Get Riches were on the main stage. They were talking about one of them who thought it was great that she got $50,000 a year. And then one of her coworkers came up to her as she was leaving. She was, she was retiring and said, so she had a few more years under her belt than Kitty did. But she said, hey, uh, I just got to let you know, you make 50000 I do the same job. I make 95000 Some of that, though, is... The problem with staying at the same place for a long time, you know, because you get very accustomed to those, those not comfortable, but those expected three to 5% pay raises where, where actual market forces would suggest that certain industries and certain jobs and whatever, you know, sometimes go up way more than that, right? Like we've all heard the story of, you know, your nephew or your cousin or your kid or, you know, some sort of person who gets their first job out of college and you're like, what? How is that person making as much money as I do now? Like, what? Huh? You know, and it's not unless you kind of shop that. And that's why we talk about so much on the show that we can put a lot of emphasis on cutting back and saving money and being mindful of your budget and all that sort of stuff. But sometimes the fastest way to get ahead is to work on the other side of the is to move. income statement, right? Yeah. Like, make more money. That solves, that's, you can, that's an unlimited opportunity. You can make as much money as you want. Uh, you can only cut your expenses to so much. So 
that doesn't necessarily mean you have to quit your job and go find a job at a competitor, right. but having an idea of what the market is commanding for, you know, for people in your area. And I've told this story before when my wife was working, she left her company to go to a different company. They gave her like a 25% pay raise to leave. And then she worked there for a year, didn't like it, wanted to work back at her other company. So went back and kind of a little hat in hand and said, you know, take mm, me back, you know, maybe kind of. And, uh, and her boss at the time and her former boss was like, yeah, absolutely. You know, you're, what, why did you leave to begin with? And she says, well, they paid me a whole bunch of money. And he says, oh, well, if it was just about money, you should have just told me how to give you a pay raise. Yep. Like a 25% pay rate. It was gigantic. It totally changed like everything in our life. Kitty said the same thing. She went to her boss and confronted her boss. Boss said, really? We're paying you that little? I got to give you a raise right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, some of it's on your employer to know, but it, depending on how big the organization is, like I said, if you start out out of college and you're 22 and you're making 60 grand a year and you're getting 3% pay raises, but now that job is a, a more highly technical proficient job or whatever, and now the new kids out of college are getting 85 it's going to take you a long time to get from 65 to 85 when the new people start at 85. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so you have to be, you just kind of have your finger on like a little bit of what's, what's happening industry wise uh, yeah. will help. I think uh pay gap, gender pay gap, whatever type of pay gap it is. Any if you're making gap. any pay gap, I think it's up to all of us to take care of each other and be a little bit more honest with each other about how much we make. Do you right? know, what, you know, there's some companies that actually have written into their policies that you can't even talk about that. Like it's weird. I don't, I don't, I don't get it. We talk about so much other. Like, hey, do you see that spot on my back? Look at that. I went to the doctor. Turns out, super infected. You know, or whatever. Like, you're like totally like open about that. My grandma has this major medical problem. You know, but it's like, so what's your salary? I can't tell you. It's, yeah, it's, not, it's yeah, right, right. That's that's personal. I can't tell you my. How much do you have in credit card? I can't. I can't tell you that. It's, yeah, it's personal. So, hopefully. Hopefully that was satire. I thought it was. And um but drawing attention to a good conversation that we gotta have. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, look at what what came of that. So that's our TikTok minute. If you've got one for me, send it to Joe at stackingbenjamins.com. Coming up next, Ted Benna is going to join us. Ted is uh, a man that didn't create the 401k, as you know already, OG. The 401k was a little piece of tax code and not a very big piece of tax code legislation. Uh, but Ted was the guy that goes, hey, there might be something here and actually took this piece of tax code that was meant kind of for what it's used for now, but not really. We'll let Ted explain it. He also is the author of 401ks and IRAs for dummies, and he also has a lot of opinions on how the 401k is being used now and what we can do to maybe clean that up, uh, much like we could uh, clean up dudes like this off TikTok. <laughs> just get, boot that dude. Yes. Ted Benna coming up in just a second, but look at who's coming down the stairs. Hey, glad you're here, man. Uh, Mr. Doug, time for some trivia. Staggers, I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. Today, we're talking about 401ks, and man, am I fantasizing about what I'm going to do with mine. I'd be a lot further along if I hadn't taken a wrong turn in Albuquerque back in 98 and ended up on a three-month-long motorcycle trip across South America, but, you know, uh, solo vez una vez, you know what I'm saying? Luckily, I'm financially independent enough to live on basically the kindness of Brazilians, uh, you know, for like 12 weeks. So, yay, fire movement. 
You know, everyone's on their own journey when it comes to investing. But I looked up whether I'm above or below average, and it gives me an idea for a great trivia question. Investopedia has a list of the average 401k balances by the decade of age. You know, so like 20s, 30s, 40s, you get it. If I said that one of these groups are averaging $38,400 in their 401k, which group would it be? We'll be right back with the answer after I go through the couch cushions looking to up my own retirement plan contributions. Can't ever have enough, am I right? And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Well, don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment's the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal, rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line, and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words, your money's breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money in the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Well, if you're new to Stacky Benjamins, you may not know that I've tried out a lot of personal finance apps. I like to be a guinea pig and try out all these things. So I know what I'm talking about when it comes to uh, what's helpful and what isn't helpful. And uh, the app that I've used the longest has been Monarch Money. And it's because Cheryl and I, my spouse, were able to collaborate together. We can work on our goals together and our budget and our goals are right next to each other on the app. It is clearly the next generation of personal finance apps. So what is it? Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, because you're a stacker, you'll get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. I love the fact that we get to collaborate. I love the fact that it's customizable. And I also love that it's this ad-free privacy you can trust. They never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch myself, I totally get why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, because you're a stacker, you're going to get an extended 30-day free trial to try it out like I try out many different apps. And this one was sticky for me because, well, you'll see when you try out the 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y.com slash Benjamins for your extended 30-day free trial. Hey there, stackers. I'm famous Shea Guevara impersonator, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. When did you start investing for retirement? I started plowing money into my 401k about two minutes after I found my first gray nostril hair. Tell you what, that's a life-changing moment. Nearly as traumatic as that time I ran out of gas in the middle of the night in Chile, and uh, it was about 40 degrees. Man, it was chilly and chilly. <laughs> Actually, that wasn't that good. But when it comes to investing, we all wish we'd started sooner. But the important thing is to start and to steadily invest. So here was today's question. According to Investopedia, different age groups are averaging a certain amount invested for retirement. 
with people in their 30s averaging more than those in their 20s, but still not as much as those in their 50s, 60s, or 70s. If someone has $38,400 invested, which group are they in if they're average? Turns out that the average person in their 20s is doing better than I thought with $10,500 in their account. Looks like bagging those groceries is paying off. People in their 30s, that's the winning answer with $38,400. Nice job if you got that right. Those in their 40s, they've got $93,400. And yeah, you're probably curious about the other groups, so I'll rattle them off. The 50s have $160,000. Those in their 60s have $182,100. And in their 70s, $171,400. Well, that's some savings. We can all do better. So thank goodness we have Ted Benna here to help us save more. His book was 401ks for geniuses, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Here he comes, Ted Benna. And here he comes down the stairs to the basement, my new friend, Ted Benna, a gentleman I've wanted to meet for a long time. How are you, Ted? Hey, Joe. I'm really great. I'm glad to be here with you today. I am so happy that you could join us. The 401k, most of our audience has no idea how this came about. The more I read about it, the more in some ways it seems like not a complete accident, but tell me if I got this right. You're in your office and it's like a Saturday afternoon. You're having some creative thoughts while you're reading the tax code, something a few of us nerds can get into. Tell me, is is, is all that correct? And is that kind of the beginning of the 401k? Uh, yes and no. Yeah, that was in uh, 1980, fall of 1980. The legislation that made this possible was actually passed in the fall of 1978. I had nothing to do with the legislation. So the effective date was January of 1980. And without getting bogged down the details, this was never expected to be a big deal, Joe. So January of 1980 came and went, you know, we had people running around the country setting up 401k plans. So yeah, the quiet Saturday afternoon you were referring to, actually, I didn't pull this out of the tax code. I mean, I knew it existed, you know, I was aware of it. I was helping a bank redesign their retirement program. And as I was doing that, I was drawn back to this section that I knew about. You know, the key pieces I came up with was adding the employer matching contribution. You know, the legislation itself was only a page and a half long. It was not a big deal, okay? <laughs> so there wasn't anything there about a matching contribution from the employer. The other piece I came up with was for employees to be able to take part of their pay from each paycheck and put it pre-tax into this type of plan. So there wasn't anything saying you could do either one of those, but there also wasn't anything saying thou shalt not. <laughs> so anyhow, I came up with this great idea for the bank and presented it, but their attorneys didn't want them pioneering something that had never been done. So we actually put the first plan in our own little consulting company. So January 1 of 1981 began the first 401k savings plan with employees putting pre-tax money in and getting a match from their employer. That was the beginning. So you were one of the first, how many people to put money in a 401k? Well, we had about 40 employees and actually a guy who worked for me named John Fletcher, who 
distributed the enrollment forms and gone back in claims to be the first because he said he was the first one to sign. Oh. <laughs> Tried it out on himself. When that was created, then once you had your plan up and moving, how quick was implementation of the 401k? Because I really feel like it almost was until the 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 mid to late eighties where where I felt like there was just widespread. If you didn't have a four hundred one k in your company, something was wrong. Yeah, it was hard getting it up and rolling, which is hard to believe now because you know how well known it is. But uh, took a lot of work to do that, and uh, you know we were trying to get the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times to write an article, and finally the New York Times did, and. Uh, yeah, once that one hit, uh, Joe, it, it took off. We started to get the phones ringing. Yeah, I, I knew it was going to get big. I, I knew we just had to get the publicity out there. And the reason, yeah, I knew it was going to get big pretty fast was most of the Fortune 500 companies had what were known as thrift or savings plans. And I don't know, you may not know yeah, that. Yeah, but yeah. Employees put money in after tax into those plans, and they got a match from their employer. Marginal tax rate at that time at top end was around 70%. So I knew, you know, when CEOs and CFOs found out, hey, if we're putting 20, 30,000 after tax into this type of plan, there's a way of doing it pre-tax, you know, at a 70% bracket, they were going to want to jump all over it. Yeah, and that's what happened. Well, and it's interesting. OG and I were bemoaning late last month, Ted, about these numbers, about the fact that you can put more money next year than you could last year into a 401k than IRA holders can. That IRA holders can only, that number stuck at 6,000. And you had a great point about why that exists, why we have this disparity that I hadn't thought about. Do you mind sharing with everybody why these numbers are so different? Yeah, it's pretty simple. And this applies you know, to small businesses, you know, over 90% of the 401ks are companies with less than 100 employees. And the issue is if business owners were able to put as much in pre-tax to an IRA without worrying about their employees, you know, a lot of them would do that. You know, they'd never set up a 401k plan. And, and that did not surprise me as a guy that went around the country for a while well, I went around my area anyway, talking about 401ks. I did a few things around the country and convincing people to use them and how to use them best. That made a ton of sense to me. And of course, that's that's it. By the way, you also have mentioned elsewhere a couple things. And one is there are some people out there that say, why don't we all have pensions like we used to? How come everybody doesn't have pensions like we used to? You call baloney on that, Ted, because apparently these people are envisioning a past that never existed. That's true. You know, the reality is in the private workforce, never more than 30% of private employees were covered under a pension plan. You know, the idea that, you know, is everybody walked away and got a pension certainly isn't true. But there's another point I'll make about the good old days. My first job was in the home office of an insurance company in Philadelphia. They had a pension plan. And to be eligible, you had to be 30 if you're a male, 35 if you're female to be eligible. Wow. And you had to stay until you're 60 to get a benefit. If you left before age 60, you got Zippo. You got nothing. Not the beautiful world that uh, people want to remember, Ted. Absolutely. And the other thing we had happening in that era, you know, when businesses went under, which happened, you know, there was no backstop. 
you know, a lot of retirees and people who worked for 20, 30 years who were in underfunded plans either lost all or most of their benefits because there, you know, there wasn't any oh, you know, back. Like a national pension guarantee corporation. National pension guarantee yeah. corporation didn't exist. Exactly. Wow. Imagine being there 25 years. You've never saved a dime waiting for the pension and the pension doesn't come. Yeah. And, and you know, and what's true today, Joe, people investing in 401ks obviously have investment risk, as you know, you know, they get benefit from the ups and downs. But what individuals don't realize is that even if you're in social security or state or a private pension plan, you have investment risk as much risk also, you just don't know it. Right. So if they're not properly funded, your you know, your benefits are at risk. Yeah. The the question I'm wondering, because you were obviously instrumental at the beginning of this, looking at it now and looking at some of these new plans and fintech getting involved and lowering fees on some of the 401ks, I would imagine that would have to excite a guy like you seeing some of the recent innovations to make this cheaper and more widely available. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the last three years, I've focused on the fact that, you know, for businesses whose owners earn less than $100,000, 401k generally is the wrong answer. So I've focused on, you know, how to make the IRA-based, employer-based plans, you know, more attractive. And, you know, in the book, I cover the fact that now there are four different types of 401ks, three different types of IRAs available to small employers, so one of the things I've done is I've covered in detail those types, but also for one shot, $200 fee, you know, I'll help small employers figure out which makes the most sense because doing it right makes a heck of a lot of difference. Makes a, makes a ton of sense. I would like to dive into just one piece at the end of the book. You talk about, by the way, in this book, you talk about 401ks, you talk about IRAs, you talk about what to do when you sign up, how to sign up. You tell people what to do when you leave an employer, like all of the different things that could go on with your 401k or an IRA, whether to Roth or not Roth, you dive into the Roth IRA and the difference between that and the traditional IRA and deducting it or not deducting it. But at the end, you have 10 reasons to participate in a 401k. And I know for some of our listeners, we've gotten questions from them about, you know, I don't really love my 401k. It, it either has fees I don't like, or I don't trust my employer, or just generally, Ted, they don't understand it. So if you don't mind, I'd like to walk through these and I'll just say the headline from the book. And if you don't mind giving me a few sentences on each of these, I think this will help our, our listeners a bunch. So the first thing you say is in your 10 reasons is you can't afford not to put money in your 401k. What do you mean? Hey, no, no, no one else is going to take care of your retirement. You need to do it yourself. And I've learned over the years from talking to participants, greatest benefit of a 401k is helping turn spenders into savers, you know, by making saving the first priority, you know, the first thing that should happen. You should get in the game. And obviously the earlier, the better. Do you like this idea, the recent innovation now that more companies are doing the opt-out versus the opt-in with the 401k? Yes, I've absolutely uh, been recommending that for a number of years. And Congress is close to passing legislation that says if you have a 401k plan, you must be automatically enrolled and your contributions will automatically increase. And the other thing that they're close to doing is mandating that all employers must offer a payroll deduction retirement program. And I've supported those things because uh, 
employers have to help their employees do that. Yeah, absolutely. Second on this list is the stock market can be your friend. I think our longtime stackers love that one. Well, when you're talking about you know, investing for a 20, 30, 40 year period of time, definitely that's key. And the benefit to starting young is that you're, you're going to accumulate a nest egg. A lot more of it's going to come from investment gains rather than your contributions into it. You wait until you're, you're your 40s to do that. A lot of more is going to have to come out of your pocket here to get to where you have to be. I'm sure, Ted, over the years, you've had plenty of people tell you that the stock market can be a risky place. So how do you answer that? Well, it's definitely a risky place. And yeah, I have concern about that for older employees, but younger employees, you know, I told them this in 2008. I said, you know, when the market tanked, I said, hey, your, upper, your potential to get a 50 to 100% return just got a whole lot better. So dump all the money you can, you know, into your 401k, take advantage of that. And those listen, I'm sure they're glad today that they did. Oh, that paid off so well. Uh, by the way, 2008, just a little known fact, that's where all my hair went, Ted, by the way. <laughs> I, I'd left it behind. Those were some dark, dark days for a lot of us. Third on your list is you might get contributions from your employer. Yeah, that's key. Uh, many employers that uh, offer these plans have what is called a matching employer contribution. Obviously, if you don't contribute what it takes to get the maximum employer contribution, you know, you're giving up money. And uh, a lot of employees you mentioned may not trust their employers. Well, this costs employers money when they do that. There's no hidden agenda there. It's, it's a cost to them. But what if your employer does not have a match? Because I've had people ask me before, say, but well, I don't save it in my 401k because my employer doesn't have for a match. What do you say to those people? Well, the key there is uh, that puts more burden on you to save because you're not getting help from the employer in terms of a match. So if you can effectively save like you would with 401k outside of the 401k, through a private IRA or, or otherwise, that's okay. Most people can't. Most yeah. people can't, each pay period, take part of their money and have it go in and just forget about it. So yeah. that's still a huge plus with 401k, you know, even if you don't get a match. Boy, and I'm right with you there. Even if they can, in my experience, back when I was a financial planner, which is a long time ago, Ted, they don't. Even if they can, they don't. But if well, you, they don't, and it's too easy to get their hands on it, even right. if they do it for a while. <laughs> yes. Uh, next up, your 401k money is placed safely in a trust. This kind of gets to the mechanism of how 401k works. Why is that important? Well, it's very important because the money is somewhere out of your employer's hands. So the idea is, well, I can't trust my employer. Well, the employer is required by law you know, within 30 days after the money's deducted from your pay to make sure it goes into your account. So if you have concern about trusting your employer to do that, keep checking your account to make sure the money's going in there, you know, that they're not, in effect, breaking the law. I only saw that happen uh, at my time as a financial planner one time where the uh, contributions would make it, but they were making it increasingly late. And I'm sure not a surprise to you, Ted, or a surprise to me, but that company got caught and quickly declared bankruptcy, but also had to, one of the very first things they had to do was make those contributions whole, like before they repaid any of the other people. Cause it turned out this company had scammed a lot of people. 
that they had to pay that pay that back first. We covered the next one, I think, quite a bit. Any plan is better than no plan. But the next one I want to hit on, your account is portable. And I think a lot of people, especially starting out, don't realize that. That just because I started with this company doesn't mean I have to leave it there? That's correct. You, uh, you have the opportunity to take the account, uh, roll it over into another employer's plan if you're you're going to have one or, or into an IRA. And you know, as I explained in the book, I usually recommend you know, getting the money out of your former employer plan for a number of reasons and transferring it out. You said there's a number of reasons why you recommend getting it away when you leave an employer. What are a couple of the biggies, the big reasons why you recommend Probably, moving? You know, the biggest one would be the fact that you, you leave it sit there, companies change. You know, they get sold, et cetera, et cetera. And 10 years or so later, it uh, sometimes can get a little difficult to track down your money. Yeah. I also, on top of that, another reason that I like a lot is that at an IRA, you can often find lower fee funds. You can find maybe stuff that your new job might not have a great international fund and you can go find something that has, you know, rounds out your, your stuff as well. Uh, I like yeah, well, the other thing around that, I, uh, when I find people who have money parked back in an old plan and I ask them how they're investing that you usually don't have a clue. <laughs> right. You know, they, like, may, they may know where the money is, but they have no idea how it's being invested. And obviously, we both know that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I think of it as a garden that needs to be weeded, you know. Uh, the next one I was surprised to see in here, frankly, Ted, it says you may be able to take out a loan. Employers don't have to do this, but uh, legally, they're allowed to permit employees to borrow from their 401k accounts. You know, that's possible. And I'm, I got to tell you, I'm not a big fan of the loans, but it is probably the only time I recommend doing that is, you know, if you got credit card, you know, with outrageous interest rates, 20, 25% or so, uh, you know, it may make sense doing that, but then you better maybe you ought to think about cutting the cards up and throwing them away. I think that's probably good advice. And I was going to ask you about that very thing, because I've seen you say elsewhere, Ted, that you really would be in favor of a mandate that kind of puts a lockbox on this money and says this has to be used for retirement. Uh, absolutely. You know, there's a um, group that's been pushing, and I've you know, worked with them for a number of years now, to do auto rollover so that, you know, it would be like the auto enrollment. You know, that your money's going to be rolled over unless you elect otherwise. But, you know, I would like to see Congress actually put a harder lock on it and say, you know, you have to leave the money locked up for retirement. It's it's unfortunate, Joe, you know, that, you know, a 30-year-old leaves a job, gets paper that says, well, one of your options now is to take the 5000 and do whatever you want to with it. It's too tempting to just obviously take it and not keep invested for retirement. And what I saw too often, Ted, when I was a planner, was that before they met me, they would make that move. They'd take that $5,000 and you know what they do with it? They'd use it to buy a car, which means, you know, after the 10% penalty, whatever state tax they're going to have to pay, the tax they have to pay, you know, maybe they're getting 3000 3500 somewhere in there. How much car can you get for 3500 bucks? So now they've got a car and a loan and all these penalties. And then, of course, you know, we walk through the opportunity cost and they want to take it back. And as you know, after a certain number of days, you can't take it back. It's that's that's just ugly. You know, something I've been very proud of about our younger stackers is that 
they already know. I think it's been ingrained in them this next point that you make, which is social security isn't going to be enough. But for the three people out there that still might believe that, hey, I've got social security, so I probably don't need this. What do you say to those people, Ted? The uh, highest percentage of uh, pay people get from social security is usually around 40, 50%. So first question I'd say is, hey, you're going to be, you know, and that's, of course, people are in the lower income area. You know, you're willing to live on 40, 50 percent of your income. But, you know, those probably who are listening to you that you're talking about, you know, are earning more than that. And and they're going to be getting maybe 25, 30, maybe 35 percent of their final income from Social Security when they retire. That's assuming that, you know, they get the Social Security benefits that they expect today and the uh, <laughs> You know, that's questionable. Right. And luckily, I think that's what people have had drilled into their head is that uh, I don't even know if that's going to be around, at least the people I'm talking to. Next up is the younger you start, the more you can save. And man, this is a great one. If if you had been there, Ted, with this one when I was 22 or 23, I would have been buying fewer games and uh, socking more money away because I'm as lazy as the next guy. So I would have loved for my money to work harder for me when I was young. Yeah, I've given hard numbers in this in the book of the significance of it, but I'll just kind of give a quick example. If your your goal was to have a million dollars, if you start, you know, when you're 25, as much as 70, 80% of that might come from investment gains rather than the money that you put in. You know, if you wait until you're 40, it's probably going to be more like 50, 50. You know, you're probably going to have to have maybe half a million of it come out of your pocket and maybe half a million from investment gains. So it makes just a gigantic difference. Last on the list, and they say the best time to plant a tree was yesterday. But if you can't do that, do it now. And the cool thing is, is if you started late, uh, you can contribute more as you get older. Explain how that works. The 401k and IRAs also have what are called catch-up contributions, meaning that and you're in your 50s, if you need to save more, you're allowed to put more money in than uh, what uh, you are when you're younger. So you have an opportunity to take advantage of that. Boy, catch but, up for lost yeah, time. Yeah, but you have to have you know pretty big income in reality. I mean, to sure. you know, be able to put that kind of money in when right. you're, you're in the 50s. I met a couple recently that weren't able to start until they were 50. And they were lucky enough, Ted, to have a big shovel, but they still had to shovel. And they did, and they were able to make it so that they were retired at 60, which is a phenomenal story. Do we, sure. you, don't, you never see that. Uh, the book is 401ks and IRAs for dummies. Obviously, we went over one little piece of it, the 10 reasons you should put money in a 401k, but it will help you choose between Roth IRAs and traditional IRAs. And a lot of the time, I know that uh, people like us, we inadvertently talk over, talk over your head. We use jargon. The term, by the way, Ted, Roth IRA drives me crazy. I kind of wish we were Canadian where they call it the TFSA because it's so much more, it's a tax-free savings account. <laughs> we, I feel like by using 401k and Roth IRA, we kind of make it tougher. No doubt about it. Definitely true. If the one is called the Roth IRA after the congressperson, how come we can't make the 401k like the Benna plan? Why can't we do that? It seems like it'd only be fair, wouldn't it? Well, I've used something called Ben a 401k, but uh, <laughs> you know, try it, uh, give it a shot. So. <laughs> uh, and the book, by the way, uh, 401k IRA for dummies available everywhere, I assume. 
Yeah, it's out in, you know, Amazon, all the, obviously, uh, your book distributors. Dummy books are widely available. I will link, by the way, to uh, your website. I will link to the book. Also link to the other work that you've done on our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. Ted Benna, thanks for hanging out in the basement and geeking out over 401ks and IRAs with me. I appreciate it. Uh, It's been a lot of fun, Joe. Thank you. I'm Rocky Lalvani, the Profit Answer Man. And when I'm not helping small businesses stack Benjamins for themselves, I'm stacking Benjamins for myself. Big thanks to Ted Benna for hanging out with us. It's a guy I've wanted to talk to for a while, OG, and it's great uh, that he's here. It's also great to see that he's still marching marching on this drumbeat of we need lower fees in 401ks. We need to make it easier for 401ks to be set up. We need to make it more simple for the employer. I thought that's, uh, yeah, I'm on board with all that. Hey, OG, let's take out the magnifying glass and help somebody do better with their money. Today's hotline call comes to us courtesy of magnifymoney.com. When you go to stackybenjamins.com slash magnifymoney, you'll find those financial products used every day, nowhere near best in class because over 92% of all the products available online ranked head to head at Magnify Money. Head to stackybenjamins.com slash magnifymoney for more. And today we're going to help Nathan magnify his money. Say hi, Nathan. Hello, Joe and OJ. This is Nathan from Portland, Oregon. I have a mortgage question for you. I have three commercial mortgages, and next year I plan to have enough from the sale of my house to be able to pay off one of the three mortgages. The first one has only three years left, and it is a current mortgage payment of $4,500. The second and third both have 20 years left, but each one has a payment of $2,000 a month. So I'm wondering if it's better to eliminate the $4,500 a month one, even though it only has three years left, or if it's better to eliminate one of the two 20-year mortgages on two other properties that I have that only will net me $2,000 a month in cash flow. But because they're amortized, I would be saving a lot more interest. So I wondered which way you guys would go. I figured you guys can help me with the math. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks for the question, Nathan. And actually, Nathan, for you and uh, and actually people in uh, Portland, Oregon, I've got, a, I've got a question for you, but uh, I'll ask my question later because it's unrelated to this, has more to do with me coming to Portland. But OG, wh- what do you think? Do you save the 4,500 bucks or do you take a big bite out of that amortization table by chunking money down on the, on the 20 years? So I guess a couple of thoughts. Firstly, I'm concerned about the idea of crossing over. He said, from the sale of my house, I'll have all this extra money, commercial mortgage, you know, dot, 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 dot. I get that everything just kind of all rolls into the same, you know, into the same family eventually. If you have three commercial properties, they all have their own profit and loss statement, and then all that kind of funnels onto you. And, And you're the person who's in charge of all that. So eventually it all goes to you. But I wonder if there's not a better place for your personal money than on the commercial mortgages. But that being said, I would go after the one that's going to save you the most cash flow. He said that one's got three years left. Yeah. So $4,500 a month for three years. Yeah. That's 120K, just about uh, more than that, 150. 
He doesn't give us the balances, does he? No, and and that is part of the issue. We don't have I don't have balance, and I don't have interest rate. And I think the other piece that I would want to know is also what does he need more of? Does he need more cash flow, or does he need to save more dollars? Because yeah, assuming without looking at what he's going to do with the money afterwards. So the $4,500 he saves, obviously he's going to save a bunch of money on the mortgages by going after those 20s. Right. I guess. <clears throat> but that is a lot of cash flow. That's what I was going to say. So assuming that the balances are in the ballpark of even, right? That's basically what he's, what, I guess what he's saying is I can pay this one off three years early, saves me 4500 bucks a month. Or I can pay this one off 20 years early and saves me 2000 a month. So that must mean the balances are very similarly situated. I like the idea of the cash flow only if you're going to take the 4500 bucks and put it on the other mortgage. You know what I mean? Like, why not have your cake and eat it too? You know what I mean? Don't take the money and then add it to the bottom line right now. Snowball this so that you yeah. are able to just aggressively pay down. Alternatively, you could do it the other way too, right? You could say, well, I'm going to, take, I'm going to pay this one off save all this interest, and then take the $2,000 a month and apply it to, because I've only got three years, that'll cut that mortgage off in 15 months probably. So you could do the amortization and kind of work out the math and see which one works out better. But if we had a little bit more data, I think I think we could pin it down. But only if you're going to take the extra money and apply it to something. I do like that idea of applying it to the extra loan. Get rid of the $4,500 of... Uh, I mean, with just the information we know. Well, it has to be that way. Or you yes. just have to take your money and invest it normally. Yes, right, right. Like yeah. you, you, your money has to make more money. That's the point. And that's where I want to know about the rest of the stuff because it's important to know if he's ahead or behind on his other goals. Yeah, absolutely. Because if he's ahead on his other goals, then he can afford to do some low interest rate decisions that feel much more comfortable. If he's behind, he might have to be a little more aggressive. So... Uh, Nathan, thanks a lot for that. If you've got a question for us, head to stackingbenjamins.com slash voicemail, and we are uh, happy to answer uh, your question. And by the way, OG, as we're seeing inflation tick up, I think the interest rate risk now becomes a little bigger as well. So this is also a great time, not just for Nathan, I think, but for everybody to be thinking about their debt strategy. Because if you don't have a debt strategy now, how many years in a row have we been saying this? You have a debt strategy now, at some point interest rates are going to go up, but now it's starting to look like it might be sooner rather than later. A lot of lot of data uh, on the inflationary front kind of leads me to believe that we we could see higher interest rates, which means lock your debt down. Yeah. Yep. Uh, or just don't have any. Or just you don't know, have it. Yeah. It's uh, way better to not have debt. Yeah. Uh, if you have a question for us, stackybenjamins.com slash voicemail, and Nathan's going to get some swag. We're going to send you, Nathan, a code. Speaking of sending, I'm also uh, sending myself to Portland, Oregon. Uh, excited to be there as part of our tour in January. I don't have the date directly in front of me, but it is, oh, gee, I think it's stop number seven along the list. And I go from there to Seattle. But here's the thing. Powell's Bookstore, which is where we were going to have it. Uh, just told us that because of still COVID and understandably so, they're not going to be having events until April. So because of that, where we were headed to one of my favorite bookstores on earth, we're not going there and I need some help on the ground in Portland. So uh, Portland, if you can write to me, joe at stackingbenjamins.com, 
what we're looking for. Well, you know what? I can just share with you what we're looking for. And I'd love to uh, talk to people from, from Portland more because I really want to come, but obviously without a place. OG, what do you, what do you do? You just uh, have a banner like on the back of your pickup truck as you drive through town that says free books, (laughs) follow me to Seattle. That's right. Just, oh yeah. Did I say free? (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. Oops. Uh, Not not, not free books. Excited to announce that we're going to be working with the Norfolk Public Library. Our friend, uh, fellow stacker, Josette, helping us there. She works with the Norfolk Library System. And uh, so Norfolk, Virginia Beach, excited about that stop in January. That is maybe a week after I'll be in Portland, Oregon, because after Seattle, I swing out to the East Coast. In Tampa, we're going to be at Cigar City Brewing. And in uh, San Francisco, we will be in at uh, Southern Pacific Brewing in Dallas will be a place called Hop and Sting, which supposedly is out by where you live, OG. I don't know if you've heard of Hop and Sting, but uh, neat place. I think it's in Grapevine. So okay. Sounds fun. I will have dates and more as we get closer, but... Uh, but tour plans are running. We haven't started planning the Midwest. We haven't started planning the Northeast. So we'll be getting on that here in the next week. All right. That's going to do it for today. A lot of people to thank. Thanks to people who have left us a review. And if you are somebody who left us a review and you sent one to me, I'm still sending books out. I sent, sent three books out. OG noticed that we just sent one to Scotland, actually. Good day, mate. Yes, uh, may or may not go over there. At least they'll think you're from somewhere else, which is which is neat. Uh, possibly not the the best accent, but you know it's okay. Uh, I like this one from Brainwash One. If you're addicted to podcasts, listening Stack of Benjamin's crew could drive you to quit. Five stars. Seriously though, they're entertaining, present a lot of information, also a tasty after dinner treat. If you in, if you're into dessert. Uh, five stars also from NC podcast listener. Always learn something whenever I listen five stars, but if you take a picture of it and you send it to me, we'll put you on the list. I'm getting a little behind and, uh, officially I've said that we will put your name in a hat for a book, but right now I'm just cranking them out. Cause I still have a lot of books. I, I need, uh, I need like eight more arms to be able to get all this stuff done. But, but big thanks to people just for leaving a review. I, I realized a long time ago that I leave reviews for stuff when, I, when I'm not happy, but I don't often enough leave reviews when I'm happy about stuff. And uh, I've been trying to do that a lot more myself here because it'll show people, especially stuff that I really like, that you're in a good spot. All right, that's going to do it for today. Big thanks to everybody for hanging out. Doug's going to do a lot of the thanking, but last but not least, if you're somebody looking to make better decisions in 2022, OG and his team are taking clients for the new year. So head to stackingbenjamins.com slash OG. That'll lead you to his team's calendar. And then you can talk to them about how you'll interface with them to make those better decisions next year and in the future. All right, Doug, you got it from here, man. What should we have learned today? So what should we have learned today? First, that the best time to start saving in your 401k is when you're 18. Second best time is today with at least the change in your car's center console. Just get started. Second, NFTs, 
Still the wild, wild west, but these can be useful ways to prove ownership. We can't wait to see what's coming in the future, but until then, remember to only invest money you can lose into these new instruments. But the big lesson? Don't ask OG about the Stacking Benjamins matching program for our 401k. Turns out, according to him, we don't have a 401k, but instead have a self-interest program where apparently you put in whatever you want into any savings program and OG gives you a high five. Wow. Flexibility and positive reinforcement. I love this place. Thanks to our guest, Ted Benna. Pick up his book, 401ks and IRAs for dummies, wherever you take your llama to be groomed or, you know, wherever you buy books. One of those answers is probably correct. This show is the property of SB Podcasts, LLC, copyright 2021, and is created by Joe Salcihat. Our producer is Karen Rapine. The show is written by the brilliant Paulette Perhatch with help from Joe and Doc G from the Earn and Invest podcast. Know how I know how brilliant Paulette is? She wrote the words I'm reading right now. While she's not putting awesome words in my mouth, she helps writers power their work and businesses power their words. See how she can help you at thatwriterpaulette.com. After you listen to our show, check out our show notes page and the 201 Deep Dives, written by our website manager and blog editor, Brooke Miller. You'll find the 401 about all things money at the 201, our newsletter, at stackingbenjamins.com slash 201. Once we get all of this goodness bottled up, it goes over to our engineer, the amazing Steve Stewart, who helps the rest of our team sound nearly as good as I do right now. Want to talk about the show later? Mom's friend Gertrude is our social media coordinator and room mother in our Facebook group, The Basement. So say hello when you see us posting online. Here's a weird fact. She and Tina Eichenberg are never in the same room at the same time. To join all The Basement fun with other stackers, type stackingbenjamins.com slash basement. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, reminding you in the words of Stephen Wright, if at first you don't succeed, then skydiving is probably not your thing. We haven't done movie reviews in quite a while and I'm getting stacked up. So, uh, got to do one. Hopefully this movie's still in theaters because, uh, I will preview my review. This is a dandy and it's called, uh, last night in Soho. Baby, you don't know what you're saying. What brings you down then? I'm studying London College of Fashion. Right, 
The room is on the top floor. It's perfect. I love it. If I could live any place and any time I'd live here. In London. In the 60s. And what she sees is a girl in the mirror when she looks in the mirror who isn't her OG. And she also finds that she's transported back to the 60s, which is a decade that she's uh, she's in love with. This is a movie by famous director Edgar Wright, who's known for making some pretty damn quirky movies. Three movies he's made that I particularly love. I didn't see Shaun of the Dead. But I did see Hot Fuzz, and I believe it's called The Pub at the End of the World. And also, a movie that I think a lot of people saw was uh, Scott Pilgrim. He's behind those very quirky, very original films. And this also is a quirky original film. I mean, a fashion student goes to London, wakes up in the middle of the night, finds herself transported to the 1960s, looks in the mirror, and she is somebody different. than she is. And she finds herself as this person who is an aspiring uh, performer. And she begins this journey, which takes you on a bunch of twists and turns that I didn't expect the whole time. I've, I've seen quite a few movies this year that I've seen fewer movies this year than most years. A lot of years, OG, oh, you know, I'll see 40 or 50 movies in a year. I maybe have seen 15 or 20 this year. So I'm way, way, way behind most years. However, this is easily the best movie I saw this year. Without question, the best movie I saw. Huh. And it, it'll leave you on the edge of your seat. Uh, I like the music. I like the 60s vibe. I like all of the performances. The twist, the twist that happened in this movie, I didn't see them coming. It is so good. It's a little bit scary. It's a little bit uh, scary. Definitely not a movie for kids. So not surprising this is uh, a rated R film. Not, uh, not for kids. Last Night in Soho. Big, big, big thumb up. Well, Stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, There are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.